Welcome to episode five of the BBCE, the best book club ever. Whether you're an avid reader or just like to chillax and have some fun, or both, join us each week for some awesome book discussion. The BBCE is a safe place to cultivate authentic friendship, share our real lives with you, and conquer all of life's problems. Well, you know. My name is Mandy, and I'm your host actually for the next two weeks. And as always, I am joined by other BBCE members, Katie, Holly, and Sarah. And this week we're gonna be taking a little bit more of a serious turn because, well, it's my book club. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to have fun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want you guys only. I look to you guys for the fun. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Amp it up. <laughs> Okay, so first I would like for you guys to each, or all of us, to introduce ourselves. And when we do, um, why don't you just tell all of our book clubbers out there what genre you most enjoy reading? I'm Katie, and I enjoy historical fiction. Is there any certain time period that you like to read in? Wow, America, I mean, I like American history, probably. Mm -hmm more yeah I think whenever I have read anything that's like World War II Nazi mm. Germany I yeah. get really depressed so mm. I mean there's some really depressing things in American history too but yeah I've hmm. read some of those that have just been awful yes okay my name is Holly and genre I don't know I don't I'm the one of us that doesn't like to read and is the one that wanted to start a podcast. Listen, what do you listen to? Um, you know, if I'm going to read, it has to be for me to gain knowledge. So it has to be like pretty much to learn something. If I'm reading something, if I'm listening to something, I think. Like how to murder people? Yes. Oh. I like. Um, no, or get away with it. That's not. Oh, oh my <laughs> word! You guys, I'm gonna get arrested. No, you're not. I'm gonna get. We've got your back. I like Harry Potter, but I don't mm. like all like fantasy books. I don't know. I so didn't answer. Just, There's my answer. You're just out there. You're just kind of all over the place. I like. Yeah, I like that though. Okay. Books that you're gonna learn something from, or it's yeah. gonna challenge you. You. Yeah, that is yeah. true. I think yeah. Holly can kind of like. I really do think you can listen to anything. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I don't like cool. listening to, I don't know, like if a book is 20 hours long or something, I do get like overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, this book is way too long already and I haven't even started it. Yeah. Like 11, 22, 63. Oh, what was oh, that? Yeah. It was like 23, 24 hours was long. Was that the longest one we've done? Yes. I think it was. Oh. With that Stephen King book. Mm -hmm. the hot that was red. I didn't even remember it was Stephen King. I was like, oh, I have uh -huh. read a Stephen King book. Oh, and there's That's a new probably one coming the out. only one I'll read. I'm sure really? Mandy knows that. No, I don't. We might that. have to do it. Yeah. All right. Hi, this is Sarah. Um, I think probably I'm like Katie. I really enjoy um, history or like fiction based on history. Um, but like time period wise, 
I really enjoy the 20s and 30s. I love the 20s and 30s. I know you do. Um, But I mean, really anything. But yeah, I can definitely get bogged down and sad about stuff too. Cool, Um, I guess. Okay, so again, this is Mandy. And I think I'm... I, I mean, this is like a hands-down question for me. I Since I was a kid, like a little kid, like mysteries across the board. And as I have become a wise adult, <laughs> I have moved in. I have like taken it to another level. Oh. And psychological thrillers oh. are like my heart. Love psychological thrillers. Thank you. I do too. So that kind of thing. Oh, I love. Oh, that was that was a game changer. Actually, I guess I do like some of those. So for the book that we're about to head into, I was wondering, Katie, will you read our publisher's synopsis, please? I will. Thank you. From the back cover, from a former Marine and Yale Law School graduate, a probing look at the struggles of America's white working class through the author's own story of growing up in a poor Rust Belt town. This book is a passionate and personal analysis of a culture in crisis, that of poor white Americans. The disintegration of this group, a process that has been slowly occurring now for over 40 years, has been reported with growing frequency and alarm, but has never before been written about as searingly from the inside. In this book, the author tells the true story of what a social, regional, and class decline feels like when you were born with it hanging around your neck. So this week, we are going to be discussing the book Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. As I was thinking about where I was going to take this podcast, there were so many directions I could have gone, and I got so bogged down in thinking about it. It's almost like, okay, you know how if you like pull off a big concert or big event, and then you go to publicly thank people, mm-hmm. like you should never do that because you're going to leave someone out. <laughs> That's how I feel about discussing this book. Like I know there are going to be great points that are missed or not oh, discussed. Yeah. Well, and this is our That's technically okay. third time discussing it also oh, that's so true. yeah 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 so and it, i've always felt like there was more we could have said oh yeah so, I think but that's it's okay true. Yeah. Like almost any book for yeah sure. like yeah i think my mind just raced so many different directions with this book but so just so you know the next couple of weeks um i um I read a review of the book in The New Yorker, which I'll post a link to in the show notes. It was really interesting. And the author of that review said that the book makes its case really using two components, the questions that it raises and the stories that it tells. And I really liked that. So that's kind of what I'm going with for the next two episodes. So this week I thought, let's take the questions it raises. Okay. And then next week, the stories it tells. Oh, that's fantastic. Sounds great. Um, So this week, we're going to talk about some of those questions um, that Hillbilly Elegy raises. Um, So let's just get into that. Okay. So first of all, the obvious question, and this is fun because we we live in the South, and I feel like we probably have a different perspective on some of these things than maybe Mm -hmm. people who live in like you know, the way north or New England or out west. Anyway, to you, what is a hillbilly? 
What do you, what does that make you think of? And I know we're going to get into stigmas and all that, but good grief. J.D. Vance put the title hillbilly in the title of the book. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think that kind of will be part of the discussion of what that raises is, you know, what part of that <clears throat> stereotype is true. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that word has been placed on people who are poor, who are white, who are from the South. Mm-hmm. Particularly the yeah, South. Yeah, from the South. Yeah. I don't think it's really any other region other than right. Because like, I'm sure you have poor or white people in everywhere Utah and California. Oh, yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. not just. But it's here. a different term for those people. Right. right. You know? I think that I considered it. Um, one of the things that I think about is people who do not, aren't concerned with education necessarily. Mm-hmm. That is mm. uneducated. I, lack of education. Okay. Yeah. I think not that they're me, uneducated, but just that they're not interested in furthering their education. I don't know. I guess because they have, they're smart, I feel like, but it's like, um, Horse smart. Horse. I don't know what that means. Um, Horse smart? Like common sense. Common sense. Yeah. And yeah, I just, Mm -hmm. I think they're intelligent, but just in a different way than what maybe outsiders would consider intelligent. Yeah. Survival things, not necessarily like book smarts. Right. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. I was just thinking like, because of where we live, and it might just be me, and this might be a total tangent that we're not going to do anything with, but I think of also rednecks. Like, almost like mm-hmm. people from outside our region call them hillbillies. People from inside, it's like a mm-hmm. pride thing. We're rednecks, you know? Mm. Yeah, yes. I get, honestly, I feel like there may be a degree of where I would call different type of person a redneck that I wouldn't necessarily call a hillbilly me too yeah yeah I so there's some hillbilly as Appalachia and possibly yeah just a more of a more of a geography okay and a redneck like I could say that is the person who um, yeah, again, probably from the South, but I think you might see more crossover with that term. Like okay. possibly somebody who just loves to hunt and, um, fish and be outdoors and drives a big, you know, jacked up truck with and the Confederate flag to, on it. Okay. Maybe they have the Confederate flag. When possibly. I went to, when that's I redneck. went to New York, yeah, I kind of felt redneck. like a redneck redneck sometimes because the way I talked and they would say things like, Oh, you know, say fixin' and uh oh, wow. and stuff like that. And I never yeah. thought about that until I went to New York mm-hmm. to college for like a year and people notice stuff like that. And I was just like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. Part of that is from probably just the knowledge that you're from Tennessee, (laughs) you know, and some of it is that none of us have super thick. Well, Katie, 
<laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> it depends on who I'm around. But if I, I go, well, yeah, but like if I go up to Michigan with my my Midwestern family, mm-hmm. they'll tell me I talk, I, like I sound Southern. Yeah. Wow. You know, and mm-hmm. I really don't sound that Southern, but. My mom's from Michigan, so I think I got, and my dad's from Knoxville, so I think I got like a mixture oh, yeah. of those two. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's move on, kind of piggyback off of some of that a little bit. Um, there was a, a New York Times book review by Jennifer Seniors, and I'm going to link that in our show notes uh, on our blog, but it, she said that J.D. Vance advances the conversation kind of leaves it open-ended. So as you read Hillbilly Elegy, like what is that conversation to you or what issue presented by Vance was predominant in your mind and why? The disadvantages that hillbillies could maybe have. So family structure, I would say, and I guess focused on what that looks like in hillbilly country or culture. Yeah. Because I think there's a very different family structure than what you would see in other parts of the country. Is there? I don't know. I mean, like, um, I think demographically, like, single parent homes, it's higher. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure if it, if that actually was a Southern thing or if it was just like a... Oh, I wouldn't say Southern thing. Okay. So what do you mean the poor socioeconomic white working class? So because they're poor, the family structure is different than if they were. I think he pointed out that his family structure was very different. Okay. And yes, actually, I looked up um, the area that my grandparents were from in eastern Kentucky, Appalachia, Mm -hmm. coal mining, and... The, the socioeconomic statistics, poverty level, hmm. single single parent homes was a lot higher okay. in that area. Interesting. So, and a very yeah. and a very small populace too. I mean, just oh, a very okay. very small town. Hmm. Yeah. When I thought about a conversation that. I think was advanced, or maybe it was just thoughts that were advanced in my mind. It didn't just make me think about hillbilly culture. It made me think about like lots of subcultures in America, Hmm. you know, like there's a lot of subcultures in America that that we could spend a lot of time dissecting. I would imagine that I'm a part of a couple of those, (laughs) you know, Um, it's really interesting to dive into not just this one, but I think that's one reason this book was so interesting to me was because it gave us a chance to to dive into one of those and just see a different way that people live, you know, and how they experience life. And, like, there's nothing... Like, there were some definite things that we would look at and go, uh, those are injustices, you know, I think... But I think every sub- subculture has their level of, like, wrongs or injustices or ways people think about them and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this book just... Not simply, but it just dove into those things. Yeah. Um, so uh, it kind of leads into my next question. Vance would have been labeled as an at-risk youth. And I, you guys are going to kill me for this. Maybe, I don't know, you're not. But um, Holly might. I don't know. 
Oh, here we Holly go. Holly likes to murder. I don't there know. There will be. Oh my word! We're murder here today. <laughs> We're gonna bring it into every podcast. I've never murdered anyone, I and know. do not plan but on the murdering to do it. Anyone I need ever? <laughs> I know. I know. Not no. a murderer. But um, no. In one of my textbooks, I. Are you laughing at my textbook? No, I just interrupted. I was like, oh. hashtag not a murderer. <laughs> Holly. <laughs> so in one of my textbooks, it talks about, oh man, we're into this whole environmental and societal factors that contribute to risk and all of that. And I just like, like, Reading this section of the textbook just screamed hillbilly elegy to me. It says, The conclusion that family poverty and children's cognitive development are linked is nothing new. Um, It goes on to just say how several decades of research have established that. Among the detrimental effects, and this is a study, a 2008 study that was cited in this book. Among the detrimental effects of poverty... Neuroscientists have found that children from very poor families with economic deprivation and low social status experience unhealthy levels of stress. This impairs language development and memory, reducing the likelihood, and this is what got me, reducing the likelihood that the child will ever escape poverty. Hmm. And then um, in another part, it talks about how parents in those societies says parents with financial stress are more tense, irritable, and explosive, and they become increasingly arbitrary and punitive in child discipline. And there is a 1994 and 2014 study cited in that statement. So it's almost like we see this, this vicious cycle of what happens when a child, adolescent, grows up and then it goes into this cycle like stress equals depression and tension and irritability explosiveness and those things don't really lend themselves to to going anywhere so it's mm-hmm. like they stay in this cycle and so how did is this making sense yes how, and then you have genetics on top of that exactly and so how in the world did jd vance end up outside of such an oppressive culture and upbringing how did he end up outside of that cycle oh i think you can read a lot of reviews on uh the book and there's a lot of controversy about um him yes controversies around him but what are you saying which controversy is why he was able to like i think he's come under so much criticism for like was he really even a hillbilly you Uh, know sure um he was definitely part of a family that was from the area. the area and then they moved like most did to the iron belt mm-hmm. and we're still very poor and we're still like culturally separated. I know Mandy had brought that up before. So I think he was in, I mean, I don't know. First of all, like do people from that area even want to be called hillbillies? But I think I think there was something that I read that was interesting that he almost in this book, and I think Mandy's going to get to it, like the way he aligned politically and maybe, I mean, he didn't really go into what his political views are, but he used government assistance to get out of 
where he was and to be able to go somewhere like, like Yale. I mean, would we read this book if he had just gone to a state school and, mm. you know, was given what, what he could what, do, what which he couldn't even have even been, been able to do? Yeah. You wow. know, it's this, you know, out of the ashes story mm-hmm. that he's able to tell, but yet in some ways he almost turns on the very way that he was able to get out. That's what I was going to say. Okay. Only you said it way better than No, I, I was wondering because I think that's, <laughs> that's, you know, what I, was I getting think at. that's definitely a point that Mandy was going to bring up too, so I didn't want to jump that gun too quickly. Well, I mean, he he has pretty some pretty specific examples and stories of, you know, living in poverty, his, you know, dealing with alcoholism. He lived with his mamma and papa, grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, papa struggled with alcoholism. Um, there was some domestic abuse that went on, verbal abuse. And Vance was all privy, or Vance was privy to all of those. Um, in fact, he calls poverty the family tradition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and do you even think I don't even think that they see abuse as abuse? No, no, because when you're in it, you don't. I mean, you know, you. Yeah. You, this you, is the way my grandparents raised me. This is the way my parents yeah. raised me. Yes. And that is just a normal way of life. How something so cruel can yes. be just a normal. Mm-hmm. Thing. Although he said, like in his marriage, he didn't want to treat his wife that way. Yeah. I mean, he talked about. Yeah, I think once he once he got out. Is what you're saying. Yeah. He recognized. I mean, what protective factors did he have? But how did he get out? Yeah. What what was inside of him or whatever? What happened that made him, that enabled him to get out? Didn't he attribute it to his grandmother? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And his sister. Yeah. He said that his, one of the things his mama said frequently was, and we've all heard this. But he remembers her saying, God helps those who help themselves. Mm-hmm. And she was very, very influential in his life. Yeah. Like, and she was a strong woman, too. Yeah. Yes. And she want. I mean, yeah, you could tell that she was like, I'm not going to let you ruin this for yourself. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She knew he was capable. He, she believed in him. And while she may not have had the opportunities, she saw that if he could do well in school that he would have a shot, and so she really pushed him. Didn't she have, like, three brothers that really protected her as well? And so she probably felt like she needed to protect J.D., and that might have trickled down. Am I getting that wrong? You know, I think think you're right. I think she had some pretty protective brothers. And J.D. had a pretty strong relationship with some of them, some of her Mm -hmm. brothers he had a good relationship. So I wonder if that enabled him to see a contrast Mm -hmm. between a lot of the culture and that protection. I wonder if that, you know, even seeing that contrast just a little bit can be helpful. His mama, I would have loved to read a book by her. I mean, even just the first few years of their marriage, how she was, what, 14 and pregnant or something? Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Had to leave her home and... yeah. Yeah, lied on the birth certificate of the kids so that they wouldn't <gasps> ship her back yeah. to, you know, the other... I mean, like, really, yeah. and then had several miscarriages, correct? Yeah. I'm telling you, though, I, I really think there's yeah. something to be said about forging your own way. Like like you said, she was young and pregnant, so they had to move away. They only had each other. I mean, 
there's just something to be said for that. Like my, um, brother and his wife moved away literally the day after they got married. And it has always been so awesome to see their relationship and the family that they made for themselves where they moved. And I just think that there's that strength in their marriage and in their family dynamic, um, because they moved away and had to forge their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sorry if you hear the dog barking in the background. I will probably not be able to edit that out. <laughs> and that is okay. And everything That's you said was great. Okay. <laughs> um, Mama actually said, and kind of moving on from that topic of discussion, Mama actually said one of the things that he remembers her saying, there was no greater disloyalty than class betrayal. Mm. So I wonder what she would think about her grandson's book. (laughs) (laughs) Because we kind of know how the region feels about the book. I have a book right here that I will link on our show notes called Appalachian Reckoning. And it is a region responds to hillbilly elegy mm. and Have it's the it? region's oh. basically pretty angry response to it. Yeah. So yeah. Mama said there was no greater disloyalty than class betrayal. And I just wonder what she would have thought yeah. or if she would have been proud. I wonder she what JD thinks she would have thought. Right. Have you I, read that book? I want, I, I have not okay. read it yet. I'm so excited to, but yeah. like I, I did, but what got into him to make him write this book? Like, surely he had to have known it was going to cause some kind of upheaval. He Why probably, are you laughing? It probably started with some college assignment, and then he was like, oh, I have all of this research here. I'm just going to write a book. You know, probably. I don't know. But no, he- I'm laughing because, oh, my gosh. It's so overwhelming to me. You have three books on the table. You've already cited multiple sources in whatever. Every question you have has a source. Every source has a year that it's been documented. She well, her Jimmy Fallon I am next just to like, this but, is exhausting. Well, I will tell you, Sarah, what? the Jimmy Fallon mug, like, tells you how cool I am. Like, I'm a really cool person. Oh, uh-huh. you're cool. I love my I Jimmy this. Fallon mug. Okay. I'm the host. That's why I have my this. Fallon mug. Maybe yes. Are you going to cool. hand it off every week to... And she just no, picked it up and put I, it on mine. the table. You're in trouble. Jimmy's my I, man. I wonder if J.D. Vance in some way... I mean, I do think that he's wanting to raise questions about the problems and what solutions there could be. Yeah. I mean, I do think he... Yeah. Because he even talked about like he mentors a young man who has a similar background to his, you know, who's gone through some of the family turmoil and has seen some of the same things and I mean let's be honest there are some serious problems in you know certain areas of the country there's an opioid crisis in East Tennessee where we live there is Um, there's poverty there's like you know the so I wonder if he wasn't feeling like he was being disloyal to his class. He was really saying, look, what can we, we need to bring this up because it's real and we're seeing this kind of turn in our country. Um, 
to where the white working class maybe doesn't feel like they have a voice. And I, I wonder if he, but I don't know if because he gave them a voice that also showed some of the sides of it that are kind of, aren't going to help them politically. Do you know what I mean? Like he talked about just this mindset of not wanting to work or abusing Mm -hmm. the welfare system or things like that. So I feel like maybe he did them a disservice in that way. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think his grandmother maybe would have been upset by that because you don't talk about those things in that culture. I mean, you do not talk about Mm-mm. if your if your son was you know thrown in jail for you know drunk driving and killing somebody or whatever it was. You know, you're not going to talk about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to bail him out of jail. Right. <laughs> I'm just speaking some some from personal experience, and it's like this enabling <laughs> thing that you're going. Why would you right. do that? That's right. never going to help them. But that's the loyalty. But that's what they do. It that is what. Is. Even if you are totally against it, and you would never. Yeah. Right. I mean, my grandmother was the most um, straight lined. You know, don't curse, don't drink. She would even when she had a recipe when she would do shrimp boils, she had to use a beer. There was no way this, you know, woman was about to ever going to purchase a beer in a store. So she would walk across the street to the city park that was across from her her house. Uh-huh. I mean, literally, there was just like her house and a road that ran. And then there was the park. And she'd walk around until she found like some idiot who had gotten no. drunk and just left, you know, an un, a, a six pack that was half drank oh, in the restaurant. And she'd go get that and pour it into oh, the shrimp wow. oil. But... However, if one of her grandkids, you know, one of her brothers or sisters or nieces or nephews, if they were to ever find themselves in trouble, Hmm. she's bringing them into her house. Hmm. She's giving them the money they need Hmm. to a fault. Interesting. To a fault is interesting. um, That's... Because I didn't get a lot of, like, shame from these. Like, she would just be there for you. She should. She wouldn't hold it over your head for, like, years and years and years. Um, Maybe. Yes. No. I don't know. I guess I it depends on the person. She certainly didn't want. I don't know if it was shame, but I, I mean, I felt a sense of, okay, because, because she made it out so to speak, from, I mean, gosh, I can't even imagine, I cannot imagine her life. I cannot imagine her life growing up Mm. where she did. And I mean, I don't even, like, honestly, I don't even think what J.D. Vance was talking about was what she grew up in. I mean, I am not even talking about poor where you knew you were poor. Like, Mm. the Great Depression Uh didn't even happen to her family. Yeah. Because Um. they were so poor. It was just um, normal life. Yeah, normal life. Hmm. So for her to make it out, I think she would be very disappointed if you made a decision. Like, we've worked so hard to hmm. give, you know, our kids mm-hmm. a home and mm-hmm. a chance to go to college. I mean, she never went to school past eighth grade. Yeah. And so I think she had shame from that. 
Hmm. on herself like she was ashamed of where she came from and what she couldn't do I mean I remember she would be so sad if we wanted her to write something down like Hmm. can you write a recipe down she really couldn't wow I mean she really couldn't and but yet she was really proud of Hmm. her kids and her grandkids and so no I don't think she would make you feel ashamed but I think you knew it was like I don't want to disappoint her yeah I want to do well by this because look what we've been given right you know and what we've probably even like what we've worked worked for absolutely wow yeah so does are you able to relate that back to I mean do you think that maybe mamma would have felt like Vance had disgraced his culture after she had given so much and they worked so hard and like possibly I'm not sure he gave a sense of like how grateful he was I mean I don't know maybe he did he did honor like when she passed away that was a neat part of the book where he and his sister were very honoring of her because they they understood what what it meant, what they were given, that they had a way out because of her. Yeah. You know, she he t- she was the one who took them in when when their mom was in jail or on right. drugs or with, you know, the 19th boyfriend. And they cared about his education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, you know, they were on it, or she was on him mm-hmm. to get his homework done and all of that. So, right. yeah, I do think he honored her in that sense. So maybe she, I don't know. I don't know what she would have thought if she would have cared but I think she would have certainly said, like, this is who we are. We are strong and loyal and we work hard. Hmm. And I generally got that sense from this book. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, strength, loyal. Yeah, I definitely think those were themes. And those yeah, are great I things. And I think that there were some things that, like, even though... Um, it's obvious that Vance isn't proud of all of his roots. I think there were some things he is still really proud of. Um, like, like I think of, oh, what's that story? <laughs> that election in the book where, like, one of his family members oh. killed one of the... He's the murderer. Runners or something <laughs> in the election on the day of. And he, Vance admitted, he's like, I, I'm still kind of proud of that. Oh, like, yeah. like, And that's <laughs> that, like, cultural thing, uh-huh. you know? I thought yep. that was neat. But, um, well, not neat. So the definition of a memoir is a historical account or biography written from personal knowledge or special sources. And then I look at this book, Appalachian Reckoning, and I'm like, I don't really know that they're treating Vance's book like a memoir as much as they are a critique. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel yeah. like they feel critiqued. So did he write a memoir or a critique? Hmm. You it's know? like when Holly, when we read, what's that book? Unbroken. Unbroken. Oh, gosh. <gasps> okay, tell your unbroken story. Okay, so we read this book, Unbroken, which... I- one of the only times we actually have book club in the morning. I am not a morning person. We're recording (laughs) in the morning today. So early. And so I get to book club. I am so ticked at this book. I absolutely hate it. 
I listened to it on Audible. We rate the book. I was like, this is a watered-down version. This is not what it's like to be a prisoner of war. Unbroken is the story of Louis Zamperini, who is a prisoner Olympian, and then ends up becoming a prisoner of war. So anyway, I am just livid that someone would write such a watered-down story of what it's like to be a prisoner of war because my grandpa was a prisoner of war in the Korea War. Mm. And his, I mean, he barely shared any of the details with us, but everything that he, he barely shared any of the details with me. He told other family members certain things, but at least for me, he didn't really tell hardly anything. So when he did say something or told his testimony about it, it was horrific which I think any prisoner of war story would be horrific. So I was really, really livid because I didn't feel like Louis Zamperini's experience was as horrific. And then everyone at book club goes, um, this is a, a true story. This is not fiction. And then I was like better with it because I was like, okay, it's this true story. Like uh, now I sort of feel a little bad. His life well, experience. And, and, and like really I was made scared to worse. even say that to Holly. Oh, I wasn't. I was like, Holly. I really thought this was a true story, Holly. Oh. I, was, I mean, family, psh, yeah. if you're prisoner of war story is not as good as my grandpa's right you that's terrible yeah, that's make up something. To yeah. no i thought yeah, it was just like made it up i just thought like, someone was making yeah. it up and oh. i was like this is this does not well, sound like what well, my grandpa went through at all well i'm sure that that happens a lot with historical fiction right where it's like yeah. oh let's make up this story about right. what it was like yeah unless you're really good at it yeah. And really research and talk to actual people because, like you said, a yeah. memoir could be talking to other people. But, right. like, for J.D. Vance, honestly, he experienced all of these stories in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't yeah. say yeah, that's... this is bad because, uh, you know, like, you can't tell somebody your life, their life story is... Right. Wrong. Well, they were right. just offended. I think your the story came, is like, people if he were hadn't offended. named it Hillbilly Elegy mm. or made it this, yeah. what was even the publisher's synopsis, like this um, story of the, um, you know, problems of yeah. the white working class in right. America. Yeah. Okay, well, well, you're kind of not well, really even white working class, buddy. You're like up there with your bow ties and your yell law and mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, well, I'm talking as if. I was the person offended by it. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't done anything for this culture. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, are you, is it, they talked about this in that Dolly Parton's America episode. Uh-huh. So we'll Which link this we're gonna in the link. show notes. Yes. And I would probably like to say Super good. more about it. But they talked about like extraction capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like, are you extracting something from a culture for yeah. your own personal gain? Right. And how dare you? Right. How I, yeah. There were times that I wondered throughout the book, both times that I listened to it, like, in the long run, was this just, like, a political move on his part? Like, <gasps> is he going to run for president someday? And and, and they will back me? Because I don't I'm know. not speaking well, for this. Yeah. Well, not so much that necessarily, but just showing people where he came from and how far he's come and, mm-hmm. you know, that he did have a hard life. And, uh, yeah, I mean... I, don't I got know. that impression as well. Did you? I did. Okay. I was just like, huh. It kind of it made me feel icky sometimes. I'm like, I just, I don't really trust this guy, to be honest. 
Huh. I don't know. So, not that his story's not, I mean, he it's valid. Like, he, yeah. this yeah. is his life. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know what his true intentions are. And sure. I just will tend to read something like this as, like... Like, oh, this is interesting, and, like, thank you for the good thoughts. Or good thinking, the good uh-huh. thinking. Like, mm-hmm. I yeah. just enjoy that a lot, obviously, well, all my books around me. is something like, that you have to process in a different way. But right. I really did think about what, like, why he wrote it, and quite honestly, he set himself up a little bit for some of the backlash. Oh, for sure. Just on the cover of the yeah. book, it says, A Memoir of a Family and Culture in crisis Mm. so it kind of sets him up for some of that i think yeah but i don't know okay so since we're since we started down the political road real quick (laughs) 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 there are actually (laughs) there are people who have read this book who actually think that it affected the outcome of the 2016 presidential election what? where Trump won on the Republican the ticket. The actual book did that. Right. Wow. Because. That's a lot of power in a book. It is. Seriously. <laughs> but it's because in the book, um, he talks about, of course, Democrats are historically known for being for the poor working class in America, mm-hmm. put into place programs, food stamps, and all mm-hmm. that to help. But what Vance says in his book is that he became discouraged because he saw how all people did was take advantage of those programs. And he, I mean, I wish I should have gone back and got some quotes out of the book for that, but you guys are probably glad I spared you anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but that, that, that those programs have been so taken advantage of, and that they actually have kind of started working against poor white Americans because of how they're being taken advantage of. So that is why some readers go so far as to say that this admission by Vance helped Trump win Mm -hmm. the 2016 election because of how it influenced readers. Like against the democratic way mm-hmm. of helping people. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I'm not going to touch that with a nine-foot pole. I, 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 I will, but I can tell you in Hang on. So, well, we don't have no. to talk about it. I, maybe yeah, we just no. put it out there. I am not. I am Ask. not <laughs> asking for political views. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, please. Well, I would. No. Okay. I think that that's really interesting. I do think the election was such an anomaly. And I do think where we are in our culture is so divided. Mm. And political lines are not what they were. Yeah. Um, I do. I mean, like my upbringing politically, I think it's interesting because I see like two sides of the Southern, you know, politics. Like my dad is probably very true. And I know you're not asking for views, but Southern Democrat, like you said, was started like right after the Civil War in Mm. Reconstruction when... We needed assistance. Right. Like we needed programs to bring, and even like in FDR with the mm-hmm. start of TVA and the jobs that it brought, like, or your middle class, and you may need a little bit of help to get your kids to college because mm-hmm. that's their way out once again. Like my family hmm. truly believed that education was so important. Yeah. Um, like Vance's grandmother saw that. And I think if you can see that in some ways, that's great, but for mm-hmm. a lot of families, it's not a possibility unless you have government assistance. We've seen that sway, and that really started like more like in Reagan's era 
to where the South aligns morally with the Republican Party. Hmm. So I think you've got, I don't think it can be just that the white working class <laughs> was influenced by this book. It's just but messy. I think there's that along with the other things that have started to divide these political lines along your red states and your blue states, you know, mm-hmm. a- along where the traditional Democratic South is now red states and even like the Iron Belt where he actually grew up. So mm-hmm. once again, you know, to call him Appalachian is not really. Mm. Um, but I guess if you're saying hillbilly is what he is there in Ohio, then that's what he was. But they're they're more aligned as red states because, yeah, I do think the white working class, I don't think that what he was saying about abuse of government systems is necessarily fair because in some ways like truly in Appalachia there is such a need for programs and private privatized programs aren't always going to cover that right so well Annie F. Downs has that um right that I was book. thinking of that well, well she um, partnered with the Dolly Parton Imagination Library to bring books into right rural Appalachia right which is well, amazing yeah yeah literacy it, programs government programs for I mean kids that go home and don't have food yeah. on the table. Right. And then there are those out there that believe those programs enable yeah. the way of life and the cycle to okay, continue, well then let's which invest. is interesting. See, I would be like, well, saying. then let's invest in, instead of just giving it to them, mm-hmm. but what are they going to do? Okay, so we go home from school and we don't have food on the table because the nearest grocery store... Mm-hmm. is probably 20, 30 miles away right. in some areas. My um, kids wouldn't have food if my grocery you store know, wasn't I mean, if you you know, drive, two minutes away. If you drive down 411 here in East Tennessee through mm-hmm. Etowah, Inglewood, Benton, Madisonville, there's yeah. Save-A-Lots, there's yeah. Dollar General, there's yeah. Hardee's, McDonald's, <sighs> Burger King, Taco Bell, you know, so... Yeah. You know, I don't know if they'd be better off without a program or if they'd be better off if we were to actually, like, privatize something that did set up a, like, farmer's market right there in the middle of town. I don't know. And we're not going to solve it in this podcast. Sorry. We're not. (laughs) We're not. (laughs) But I was just saying, like, there's two sides to that. I just never thought about programs enabling that. Yeah. But I do understand that side of it. It's the a little bit different and off maybe but the anyway. only problem I, I the biggest problem I have with that is that I, I knew you would have a problem yeah. with that <laughs> well because yeah. I grew up with that faulty thinking that we're just giving handouts mm-hmm. and I can see how it would be enabling but I also had to get to the point where I had to be able to see that human being as actually they really do need help mm-hmm. especially when you're see both. Especially when you're talking about children and adolescents who can't help yes. themselves. Oh my right. goodness. I mean, right. I mean, like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. You're right. You're right. Wow. Thank you very good. much. Um, and I just want to say, because I, uh, you guys talked about, or Holly did, about my books on the table and my citations. I just, some of this stuff is a little sensitive, and I thought it was important to cite things. Um, so that it's not, it's not just me being over general or uh, me saying, oh, this is a real issue. Like, 
I agree. You know, I just, I thought some of that was important. So great job, me anyway. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Be the best and subscribe to our show on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts by searching for the best book club ever. And please write us a review in iTunes or wherever you write reviews. Um, Follow us on Facebook at the BBCE. You can also find us on Instagram at the BBCE, and you can wander into our lovely little world, which makes us sound so perfect and we're not, but that's okay, at www.thebestbookclubever.com, where you can find more information about all of the things that we've discussed in this week's show, including all of those show notes. I promise next week's episode of Hillbilly Elegy is going to be more on the entertainment side of things. So don't give up on me yet. The end. Now it's time for some bloopers. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Thank you. I had to cough. I had to cough too and I, I didn't sh- want to stop. So oh, I, was like, I was laughing because you were oh like, She's I like, guess. She's like, that yours are cool. I hate all of them. All right. <laughs> no, that's not it. It's just, oh, it's just going to be, I should have brought my awkward mug. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this might be my favorite part of book club is the publisher's synopsis. You can just sit here and sip your coffee. <laughs> For it to be you over. Are Those the of us rules that reach it. By no, drinking your fair. coffee. She has I a paper cup. I went and got a paper cup. You've also banged it on the table. I haven't put it on the table. You banged it on the table. You know, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to take your word for it. Okay. I'll just edit it to make it sound like you've done it 50 times in the show. (laughs) Sarah and I aren't even allowed to sit at my table anymore. Wow. And reach it. Um, I am I'm, not picking a book that I have to do that much research. <laughs> and I had an absolute blast right. doing it. So <laughs> you're an Enneagram five, exactly. and this is episode number five. Oh, oh wow! Awesome. You Perfect. love numbers. And Holly had episode three, I and did. she's an Enneagram three. Ooh, we're gonna That's have kind of to fun. Like adjust it. You've already missed two. Yes, I need Katie to late for me. You're gonna be nine anyway. Will I? Will yeah, I be nine? You will. Yeah, you'll be nine. See, I can't even think of that number cycle, and you're already there. You love yeah, numbers. <laughs> I did it early in the podcast. I know how to count up four. And oh, yes, good. of course, Holly did it. Holly got there way before I did. I'm so glad. You're such a brat. So sharp. <laughs>